0: Father, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us, your sovereign care. We ask that you would help us today as we get into your word and consider children and how we are to uh, interact with children, affect children in our lives. God, we uh, thank you so much for the gift of life and how so often the young ones among us are just a reminder of how precious life is. God, help us today to not only understand what Your Word has said, but apply it and to honor You through it all. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, who is the alpha generation? Perhaps you've heard of uh, the silent generation or the greatest generation or the baby boomers or Gen X or millennials or Gen Z. Well, now the newest, freshest generation is called Gen Alpha, Generation Alpha. And those are the children who were born after 2010. And so just as a test case, if you children know your ages or what year you were born, stand up if you were born after the year 2010. All right, so let's look around and see. There's some Gen Alpha among us, okay? There they are. Uh, we have a lot, <laughs> and we have several who are sick and aren't able to be here. Okay, you can sit down now. Uh, <clears throat> we have many, who, many more who are a part of this church who aren't able to be here today. Generation Alpha. Now, why does Alpha happen now when it's not the beginning? I don't know. Who names these? I don't know, but that's what I was told, okay? And so today, I want us to consider Generation Alpha. I want us to consider these among us who are not quite teenagers yet, And I want to cast a little bit of vision for how we are to affect them in ways that God has given us influence. I want to talk about goals that we should have collectively as a church community for these children. And this is just going to be some general vision casting here. We're not getting into specific how-tos. I just want to share some goals that are on my heart. I don't want to get into how to parent, talking about discipline or anything like that. That's a different sermon or a different conversation. But today I want us to focus together on this church community, the children in this church, and our common goals for them or what should be our common goals for them. And this, of course, does begin with parenting, the parents of our children here. And I, I want to say, too, that it isn't really, uh, this section isn't just about, um, or for, parents who have children in the home who come to our church. I think even if you uh, have children who aren't here, or if you have children uh, who are older or out of the home or whatever the case may be, that there are still principles that can be applied in those relationships. So don't check out is what I'm trying to say, uh, but there will be direct application for the parents who have children in this church. All parents share the same general calling. If I could uh, borrow Ted Tripp's definition, Ted Tripp wrote the book Shepherding, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's a very good book. But if I could borrow his definition of parenting, it is to shepherd a child on God's behalf. To shepherd a child on God's behalf. I like that definition. I think it sets a lot of things in the right place, even just a short phrase. And so with that definition in mind, we can recognize as we start to think about parenting that children are not ultimately ours, Children are not ultimately ours, but they belong to God. They're given by God. They're given by God to us for loving management, for loving stewardship, for love, loving shepherding. That's what God is all about when it comes to parenting. It's not about ownership. We don't own our children, but they are the sheep of God's pasture, aren't they? Even though, who was it, Bill Cosby? Are we allowed to mention Bill Cosby anymore? Bill Cosby said, uh, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. Remember that, that phrase that we've all said at different points in our parenting? We don't own the children. God owns the children. And he's given them to us for loving stewardship. Look at Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them! They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. That very first phrase there in verse 3 children are a gift of the Lord. This is God's business in giving the gifts of children. And this actually increases the seriousness of parenting. Perhaps uh, someone's mind could start thinking, well, okay, if they're not ultimately ours, if we don't own them, then we could, you know, loosen up on some stuff because, you know, they're they're God's. God will take care of them. Well, not necessarily, because if we are placed in between them and God as His under-shepherds in that sense, with the responsibility of lovingly managing them for His glory, shepherding them on God's behalf, I would say that really increases the seriousness of parenting, wouldn't you say? If we've been commissioned as parents to shepherd children on God's behalf, that's very, very serious. That's a perspective that we should aim to have and to keep, a perspective that's easy to lose because, of course, being a parent is full of all the day-to-day stuff that muddies the waters. But this is the right perspective, that we are to shepherd a child on God's behalf. As Paul David Tripp has said in his book called Parenting, he says, It's possible for a mom to be more worried about stains on her couch than the soul of her son, or for a dad to be more focused on the shine and maintenance of his new car than the heart of his daughter. It's so easy to lose proper perspective, but the proper perspective is that we are to shepherd children on God's behalf as parents. And that means the goal is to have godly children. That's the goal. That should be the goal for every parent, is to see your children be godly, which starts with belief, that they would be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would be obedient to all that God has called them to. To see God's heart on this, I want to read to you from Malachi chapter 2 out of the New Living Translation. I do not read from the New Living Translation very often, uh, but in a case like this where the Hebrew is particularly difficult and English translations are almost as difficult as the original Hebrew... I think the New Living Translation does a good job of summing this up. I want to read to you Malachi 2, 13 to 16. When he's talking to Israel here, when the prophet on God's behalf is rebuking Israel for their sins, here's the direction he goes. He writes, Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. See God's heart for the family there. God's heart that men and women would be joined in true unity, glorifying Him. And that the children, the offspring of the union would be godly. That's the Lord's desire is to see godly children, and we should join Him in that desire. God, of course, is supremely faithful, and He shows that to His children every day, doesn't He? The fact that our heart's still beating, breath still in our lungs, God's faithful to, to bring us along. The fact that we still have our salvation because He's the one who gave it to us, He's the one who adopted us, the fact that we can still call Him Father, that shows just how faithful and gracious God is. And in turn, he calls us to be faithful to him and to be faithful to our relationships. I would say primarily starting with the home, and then from there to the church, and from there to the community. Because what's a good church made up of? Good homes. What's a good community made up of? Good churches. So God calls us to be faithful to him and to others in our relationships. The family unit is essential in God's program and we are to have a, a Godward faithfulness to one another. I think this would be a great goal for every family is to see a, a faithfulness to one another as there's a joint faithfulness to God. What a beautiful reflection of God's heart. So with the right outlook on parenting, that these are the goals of parenting, to shepherd on God's behalf, to shepherd toward godly children, I think we can bring specific goals to bear on the home. And again, this is a general vision. These aren't specific how-tos, but these are goals we should have. And it starts with the gospel. It starts with the gospel. It has to start with the gospel. We can't skip the gospel. We can't come back to the gospel. We can't make the gospel a footnote in our dealings with children. The gospel has to be the cover of the book. The gospel has to be the heading of every chapter. The gospel has to be front and center in the home in all that we do. And if you're looking for just some immediate help with that, there's a new booklet that we put on the free resources shelf this week, this past week, titled How to Lead Your Child to Christ. And it walks through the gospel, it walks through the key talking points. It would be great for you to pick that up if you need some help with that. But the big idea is that we want to help our children see the the depth and the personal nature of their sin. We want them to see the depth of their own depravity before a holy God. We want to teach them about the goodness of God and the holiness of God, but also how they are separated from Him and how they are, in fact, under His judgment because God is completely good. That their problem isn't just bad behavior, but that their problem is that they're lost and need Jesus. They need Jesus dwelling in their heart. They need to be born again. Even when they weren't born that long ago, when they're just a few years old, We want to teach them, there's another birth that you have to have. You must be born again. We want to teach them about humility before God. That God is the creator, that he has all authority, that he is good. That they are none of those things, but that they can be reconciled to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. We want to lead them into the story of Jesus. We want to teach them about the Savior of the world and how He is God in flesh and how He died on that cross for their sins and He rose again that they could be justified. We want to put that on their hearts. And I would go farther than that because you know I will. We want to make them experts in theology too. I want want my children and I want the children of this church to know the word justification, to know the word imputation, to know the word sanctification. You know, sometimes we can get nervous when we talk about those things and say, well, don't, you know, don't give them a bunch of head knowledge and don't make it all about head knowledge. And I agree, don't make it mere head knowledge. Get to the heart. But give them head knowledge. They also need head knowledge, don't they? And, and make them experts in these things, these very, very important subjects that the Bible talks about. Romans chapter 5. I want to read to you Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. This is what we should want them to understand. That while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we are to exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And I love it when we look at passages like this, or when we're talking about Sunday school or whatever, that the case may be in my home, and one of the children says, what's reconciliation? I love that. I love it. What an opportunity, what an open door to talk about the gospel. It needs to be front and center in all that we do in our our interactions with children. We need to teach our children from the gospel that life isn't about them. Tough lesson to learn, very tough lesson to learn. In fact, I, I would say we're all probably still struggling with that one a bit, aren't we? But As far as it depends on us, we are to impart to these children that life is not about them, but about the glory of the God who made them. That this life is for His honor. That they would embrace submission to Him as their creator and to those whom He has placed in authority in their lives, starting with their parents. That's the goal, to impress that on the heart of a child based on the Word of God. Now, from there, if by God's grace, Children are coming along and believing the gospel. We want to add to the gospel instruction, life instruction. We We want to pair with the gospel, never confusing faith and works. We always want to make sure they understand salvation is by grace through faith alone. But we want to bring alongside that wisdom and instruction for children. And again, I think this is specifically... Uh, intended, well, I shouldn't say I think, I know because I made it. It's specifically intended for parents who have children in the home, but it's not without application for those of you who don't. Any of you who have any influence over children, whether they're your own children who are grown up, whether they're your grandchildren, whether they're just children in this church that you have relationship with, I think there's application here for all of us. I want to talk about six areas specifically of sanctification that are rooted in gospel participation in love and in wisdom. What, what more could we want to see from children than gospel participation, love, and wisdom? I mean, that's like a really good three-item list, isn't it? If you're going to have three things on a list that you want from your children, you want to see from your children, that's a great short list. Well, the first thing is applying faith to life. And I know this is a big subject, but we want our children to be able to apply their faith to life. One of the biggest failures of the American church in particular, is disconnecting faith and life. That faith is something you do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and life is life. Or that faith is like a switch. You turn on and you turn off. You're around religious people, well, you turn on the faith switch, and now you're like a religious person. And you go around other people, and the faith switch goes off. We do not want that for our children, do we? We want, we want all of Christ and all of Scripture to apply to all that they're doing in the world. We want to, again, impress on their hearts that God saves us for a grand purpose. He doesn't just give us fire insurance that we would say, yeah, I prayed the prayer when I was six, and now I'm going to do whatever I want. That should not be what our children think the gospel is. That's not the gospel. We got to go back to the gospel. But well, we want them to see that God saves us for a grand purpose. Consider Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Amazing passage. It says, for, by, or "'For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, "'instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires "'and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, "'looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory "'of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.'" who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's more than fire insurance, isn't it? That's a lot more than that. That's more than just, well, the the hope of heaven, this life is worthless, and I'll go to heaven when I die. God has set us apart that we would be zealous for good deeds, to glorify Him, to glorify His good name. And let me give you just two areas within this aspect of applying faith to life, two aspects of what it means to apply faith to life. The first being discernment, and the second being integrity. Discernment and integrity. Discernment is absolutely critical in this life, especially for those who have the knowledge of God especially for those who are Christians. Consider 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes, "'Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God,' treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. That's, that's a lot of uh, bear traps there in life, isn't it? Well, how do you avoid these landmines? How do you avoid such men as these? It takes discernment, helping our children to apply faith to life in a discerning way that they would be Christians set apart for good deeds in the world avoiding the traps of sin. But secondly, there's integrity. Integrity is absolutely paramount. If you have discernment but don't have integrity, your discernment is worthless. To have integrity means to hate the world's offering but and to love God instead. <laughs> to hate what the world has to offer and to love what God has to offer and to love God himself. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, it says Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Very serious. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. How do you do the will of God? Applying faith to life. Foundation is the gospel, the foundation never changes, but applying faith to life from there. Secondly, a second area of sanctification to highlight that we should desire for our children is understanding the purpose and priority of the church, caring about the local church. In salvation, we are all placed into, whether you're a child or an adult, it doesn't matter, we are all placed into the necessary body of Christ. We, are, we all become instantly, as we become Christians, we become members of Christ's body. And Christ's body, of course, is worldwide. He has believers all around the world. And yet there are local expressions of Christ's body, like this one where we have gathered here today. And the body is absolutely necessary. This is so important to communicate to our children, that fellowship and service are a priority in our lives because God has saved us for this. He has saved us for community. He has saved us to be together, to encourage one another, to teach one another. We need to help our children understand that receiving instruction in the local church is absolutely critical, that that can't be left out of our lives. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, short verse but important verse, It says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As far as it depends on us, we should help our children understand why especially is in that sentence. Do good to all people, yes, but especially those who are of the household of faith. Help them to love the local church. And in that, we want them to understand what makes a good church. And if you're coming to this church, I think we're a great church. And so you can help them understand why we go here as opposed to somewhere else. You can help the children understand why this local body is very important and very special and precious to us. And in so doing, we're teaching them how to find a good church. I recognize one of these days our children are going to be shipped out. Hopefully many of them will stay. We'll talk about that more later. But there will be those who move away. We want them to find good churches, and now's a great time to start teaching them what makes a good church. Why do we choose this church over other churches, and why should they care about that? A third area of sanctification that we should desire for our children is that they would care about friendships, meaning that they would live for God by serving others in these friendship relationships, that they would show compassionate kindness toward their neighbor, to be A good friend. And I think that's where it should start. How to be a friend. How to be a friend. Not how to receive friendship, but how to give friendship is is a very important thing for us to teach our children. And we should all know this is becoming more and more unique in the world, isn't it? A lot of people want people to be friends to them, but don't want to make the sacrifice to be a friend to others. And it should be one of those goals we have for our children, that they would know how to be a friend. Let me give you a a string of Proverbs here, starting with Proverbs 12, 26. It says, The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We should want our children to be a guide to their neighbors, right? To bring wisdom and love and truth and, and hope and joy into those relationships. To bring all these amazing things that come from the gospel into their relationships with their neighbors. That's what it means to be a friend. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. To teach our children what it means to stick with relationships, to teach our children not to throw away relationships, but help them see a love that sticks with their friends. Same chapter, Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, "'A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones.'" So this can apply, of course, to yourself. You can give yourself good medicine by having a, a joyful spirit. But I think this also applies to our friendships, doesn't it? That you would have a fitting word, like Proverbs says, is, is apples, golden apples placed in settings of silver. But you would have a joyful word that you would be able to bring cheer in the truth to others. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens Another helping our children to see that they need to be sharpened, that we're all a little dull, right? And we all need to be sharpened, and that that happens in the context of loving relationships where we're speaking the truth to one another in love. That's what it means to be a friend. But of course, we also want to teach them how to choose friends. We want to help our children understand that choosing friends is of supreme importance. It is absolutely critical that they have, again, that discernment to choose friends. We want our children, the children in this church community, to be influenced by good and not evil, don't we? We want our children to be surrounded with good and not sin, as far as we can help it. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's one to like, put over the doorframe in the kid's room, right? He who walks with those who are wise will become wise. And we have this amazing verse, 1 Corinthians 15:33, "Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals." This is so true. Absolutely true. Bad company corrupts good morals. Does this mean they can't be friends with anybody who's non-Christian? No, that's not what that means. But it does mean that there's a difference between good and evil. There's a difference between wisdom and foolishness. And we need to help our children understand those distinctions so their relationships can be put in their proper place. A fourth area of sanctification that we should desire for our children is helping them to understand the goodness and the importance of marriage. And it starts with communicating to them that marriage isn't about feelings. Now, Disney has really set us back on this, okay? The happily ever after, perfect man, perfect woman the Pocahontas, John Smith stuff really messed us up, okay? We need to reverse that. Marriage is not about the pitter-patter in the heart, though that is nice to have, and that probably should be an element, okay? That's not what marriage is. Marriage, of course, is a serious covenant commitment that you make before God and others. A couple more Proverbs. Proverbs twelve four. Consider this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him Is like rottenness in his bones. Teaching our children verses like this is really good. Before they get to premarital counseling, teaching them verses like this, or before they get to marriage counseling, 10 years into a marriage, it's good to teach them verses like this. And it goes both ways. An excellent wife is hard to find, an excellent husband is hard to find. And there's discernment to be applied. Proverbs 31, verse 10, talking about another excellent wife. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. We want to help our children understand how they can choose a spouse. And this is deeply, deeply important. I mean, this is just one of those that I cannot stress enough as a pastor. I, I know that many of you would be right up here with me attesting to this one. When you have children in the home, start now. So important to start now. If God has given you the gospel in your home and he's given you influence over young children, help them to understand the importance of this, especially if they are little Christians, if they have a testimony of Jesus, if as far as you can tell, their hearts have been given over to the Lord. Start impressing on them right now who they're going to marry in 10, 15 years. So, so important. Let me remind you of one of those Key passages in this conversation, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or fellowship has light? What fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? We need to teach our children from a young age that dating outside the faith is just not an option. Just not an option. And it's not because I'm dad or I'm mom and these are the rules. It's because, you know that testimony you have of Jesus Christ? Let's protect that with everything. Let's not compromise that. Let's not jeopardize that. Let's not walk it over to the edge and say, you want to jump? Let's not do that. But let's guard what God has given us. Let's guard the truth and the love that we have in Christ. And let's consider it so precious, so precious, that we would not take it into a relationship where Christ is joined with an idol, or where light is trying to fellowship with darkness. Let's impress on our children's hearts how critical this is. And as much as you can, model what it should look like to be a married man or a married woman in the faith, as much as you can. Because we know the kids are always watching, aren't they? How do they, they learn that word when it comes out of their mouth? Well, look in the mirror, right? (laughs) That's where they learned it. They're always picking up things. They're always learning things. And that goes for our marriages and how we model what it means to be a Christian husband or a Christian wife. Fifth area that we should desire for our children, to practice self-control. Now, this requires swift discipline from an early age. Parents, it is incumbent on us to stay on top of this one because it's pervasive. It shows up everywhere. It goes back to the relationship the child has with authority. We, of course, live in an age of instant gratification, and people were saying that 50 years ago, and it's become more and more instant. And I would say in the years ahead, it will become more and more instant. Well, I think it would be good for us to deny instant gratification to our children. It would be good to help them understand what it means to control not only our behavior, but our thoughts, where behavior comes from, to take every thought captive. If our our children are Christians, take them to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive and lead that thought to Christ. Help children to focus. Focus is something that we're losing in the world, isn't it? How great would it be if these children grew up to be Christians with focus? What could they do? But a lack of self-control will just ruin anyone or anything, no doubt about it. If you don't have self-control, you are open to all sorts of failure. Again, a a proverb, 25, 28. It says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. It's the truth. So we want to help our children to have a, a high standard of maturity, spiritual maturity, mental maturity in the Lord, bringing to them these ideals that the Bible gives us of being temperate, meaning Not flying off the handle one way or the other, but being temperate, being sensible, being dignified. Those are great adjectives and really sets us apart in the world as light shining in a dark place, to be temperate and sensible and dignified. It's certainly a process. But again, Proverbs has told us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. There's not being temperate, being sensible, and being dignified bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And it's the parent's job, by God's instruction, to drive that folly away. Sixth and final area of sanctification I want to bring up today is helping our children to subdue the earth with their skills. To subdue the earth with their skills. Basically meaning, we want to help them contribute successfully to this place in the way that God has designed them. Genesis chapter 1, there's that mandate for man and woman to rule over the earth, subdue the earth. And they have to have skills to do that. They've got to have practical knowledge for their hands to be able to do that. And so we want to teach our children how to provide for themselves the way that God has wired them. We want to teach them what it means to make a living, to earn a living, to earn something as God has designed them to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we commanded you. Great verse. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. There's a bad kind of independence, a bad kind of self-reliance, and this is the good kind, that you would not be dependent on others, but that you would earn your own living, that you would not feed off of others' work and, and be lazy. But that you would see that God has made you for work. That's the message to our children. Work existed before the fall. That tilling and pulling and all that stuff, that was, you know, before sin entered the world. So work is good. And God has designed us in specific ways. He's wired us in specific ways to work, to help our children discover those ways. should be very gratifying for parents and should be one of our main goals We want to also teach them how to develop that biblical relationship with the creativity that God has given them. That work isn't just about punching a clock and thorns and thistles, though that's a big part of it. It's not just that. God's also given us creative abilities that we would exercise the image of God that we're made in, in the way that we work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, so the second letter Paul wrote to them, he says, starting in verse 11, we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So how is this for like uh, an anti-worldly way of thinking? Helping our children to understand that hard work is very good. That's not natural to us, is it? But I, I think this is what God has set before us that hard work is very good. And so perhaps as parents, we can grade ourselves in these areas and see where we can improve. I, as I was trying to boil it down the simplest I could, I, I came down to these six. And, uh, you know, I would say though, though seasons change, though our level of influence may change with our children, these objectives don't change. And we want to continually find ways, whether our children are in the home or not, whether we have children or not, we want to find ways to lead children under our influence toward this end. Well, these goals, again, aren't just for parents with children in the home. They're for all of us. And so let's close by thinking about grandparents and the rest of us. Those of us who are grandparents, I shouldn't say us, those of you who are grandparents, and those of you who are like fill-in grandparents, for those like my kids who don't have grandparents close, let's, uh, let's talk about these things. First, um, I would say that you should look at our list today and desire the same things. You should desire these things for the children and invest in your grandchildren toward that end. To invest in the children who are in your sphere of influence toward this end. And it does, again, start with the gospel. The gospel. Let me tell you, grandparents, that your repeated and gentle pointing to Jesus is not done in vain. It is absolutely not done in vain. There are many things I'm convinced of in this world, and there are many things I haven't experienced that I'm convinced of because the Word of God tells me. But this is one of those things I'm convinced of because the Word of God tells me and because I've lived it. The influence of grandparents in the lives of their grandchildren is humongous absolutely huge. And your continual, loving, reminding them of the gospel is so, so, so important. Here's a commission that you can embrace as your own. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Remember what it is you've seen and heard, what you've experienced. And beyond that, make it known to your children and your grandchildren. So, so important. I think what this means is, as often as you can, grab lunch with a grandchild. Write a letter to a grandchild. Send a text to a grandchild. Do a Marco Polo with your grandchildren. You know, that exists, and they are doing that, so you can do that too. So important. I would say, too, as an encouragement to grandparents, prayer is one of your special ministries. God uses the prayers of grandpas and grandmas profoundly, just absolutely profoundly. Two of my closest friends in college were saved when they were in prison. They had done a lot of things they shouldn't have done, and uh, they were leading lives they shouldn't have been leading, and they ended up in jail, um, one of them very seriously. He was he was he had done a lot of things. Both of them came to know the Lord in prison. Both of them now have godly wives. They have children that they're raising in love. They're committed to their local churches. They're they're serving God, and both of them had a grandma that would not stop praying. Both of them you can't cry. I'm going to (laughs) cry. Don't do that. can't see my wife crying. (laughs) But both of them, in their testimony, central in their testimony, is grandma. Grandma was praying. And I think as grandparents, telling your grandchildren that you're praying for them and telling them how you're praying for them goes a very, very long way. A third encouragement for grandparents, support your grandchildren's parents as much as you can. Support your children as much as you can as they parent. When you see some of these goals being pursued that we want for our kids, when you see that through your children, when you see that being applied to your grandchildren's lives, add fuel to that fire. Do what you can to just put rocket boosters on that and support them. Your support of your children in their parenting goes a very, very long way. And then lastly, fourth thing for grandparents, model what it means to finish well. Show your grandchildren what it looks like to live this life well and to finish the race well. As the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, I've finished the race, I've run the course. To be able to say that you've kept the faith. It's going to have a long-lasting impact on your grandchildren. You know, I, I, I think it's true that most kids have a very favorable view of their grandparents. Most do. Take that leg up that God's given you already and just add to it. Show them what it means to live life well to the end. Because it will have a very long-lasting impact on them. So regardless of your status as parent or grandparent, we all have a role to play in our children's lives. So uh, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have children or grandchildren in immediate influence, but you have children in your immediate influence, don't you? There are lots of children here, lots and lots of children. And so let's make it our joint commission to care for them as image bearers of God. You cannot be neutral. You can't say, oh, I uh, I." Some days I care for the children, some days I don't care. I'm just kind of neutral. You can't be neutral in this. You either care or you don't. You're either helping to steady them in life or you're causing them to stumble in this life. Because even if you don't talk to them, they're looking at you. They're watching you. They're hearing conversations you're having with other people. And so have it on your heart to care for the children that are under your influence in this life and support the godly parenting that's going on in this church. See what you can do to come alongside and encourage parents, and there are countless ways to do that. Think of things that you wish you would have had when you were a parent, a voice you wish you would have had in your ear when you were a parent. Think about services that you wish you would have had when you were a parent. Encourage godly parenting, and don't despise or write off a generation. I'm a millennial, so I know what it's like to be in the crosshairs on this one. And yes, My generation is spoiled, totally spoiled. When I was looking up what to call the newest generation, the generation alpha thing, I came across this timeline that someone made that walked through, you know, silent generation, great generation, boomers, all that to the present day with the years on it. And then it also put like things that happened during that time period. And so for my generation and on, it's like smartphones and PlayStations and... AI and, like, all these amazing things that make our lives way, way easier. And, you know, way back then, it's like penicillin. Oh, (laughs) made it through World War II, (laughs) you know. Uh, Okay, I get it. We're spoiled, totally spoiled. But we're not rotten, all of us, you know. There's still some hope. And so don't write off a generation. Don't write off the young generation. There is hope for them. They are the ones who can change the world. They're the ones who are going to be leading and reaching people for Christ. And in all that we do, we want to influence with love toward the truth. Let me read again for us Psalm 78. This is what Rex read at the beginning of the service. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Really, really sweet psalm. It says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep His commandments. Isn't that a great goal? And so be friends with the children in this church. I loved, uh, like all, all service today, Hudson and Nola have been sitting together. That's Perfect. That's perfect. That's great. I love that. I don't know what the depth of the conversation's been. Hudson, you'll have to tell me later how deep Nola was in conversation, okay? But <laughs> I love that. Be friends with my kids. I don't want my kids to have as their only friends other kids. That would be bad for all of us. I want us all to be friends with one another, to be in children's lives, to mingle with them, to ask questions, to follow up on the things that you learned. And, and one final way to think about it, I know I've been like landing the plane for 10 minutes, but we're going to get there. One final way to think about it. When you are investing in the children in this church, you're investing in the future of our church and the future of our cause. As Christians, you're investing in the future of the gospel, the effectiveness of the gospel to reach more and more people in Utah and faraway lands. You're investing in what we're doing here. You're investing in our church's stability. And I'll say this as a personal note. I want, as much as it depends on us, I recognize the calling of God. I recognize that He's going to do what He's going to do. But I want this. I want many of our kids to stay here. I want to see in 20 years grandparents holding their grandkids here. I want to see that. I want to see my kids bringing their kids here. I want that for this church. And that means now, there's not a moment too soon, we start investing in the kids. We start cherishing the children. We start keeping, putting the gospel front and center and leading them in sanctification in the ways that God has told us. Will you help toward that end? Let's pray. God, we thank you for life and breath, and every good thing. Thank you so much for the wonderful children who make up this church. Thank you for their future. That their future is not unknown to you, but you're there. I thank you that as we sing in in that one hymn, that these children can face uncertain days because you live. Help us to impart as much as we can These truths that we hold so dear, that we would encourage our children in the Lord day by day, nurture them in the faith, and by your grace, reap a blessing. We thank you for the fruit of the womb. We thank you for the reward that children are a gift from you. Help us to truly care for them in those ways. Help us to serve you well by the way we serve them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.